Hi, Phil Aston here from Now Spinning Magazine and welcome to another episode of the podcast and also this will be going out on the YouTube channel and on the Now Spinning Magazine website as well. And I'm absolutely delighted to have as guests for this episode, Simon Mayer and Hilary James, who are going to talk about their new album, When Summer Comes Again. Now, I have talked about this before on my channel by saying it reminds me of a wonderful English summer's day sitting outside with a crisp, cold glass of white wine. And it's that kind of pastoral music um, that just sounds timeless and absolutely beautiful. So it's great to have both of you here with me today. And first of all, I think I'd like to start by how did this album come together? Well, that's a very nice introduction. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. And um, and if we've uh, conjured up visions of a nice summer's day with a glass of crisp white wine, then I think we've succeeded. And that's our dream at the yeah. moment. So, yeah. um, what do you have? It's very much a lockdown album. Uh, suddenly our gig diary was empty, like all mu- it, like it was for all musicians. And um, we decided to start recording. Uh, we, we have our own studio here. And we went through a, a lot of old recordings that we've had in stock and never issued, and we did a lot of new recordings. And we ended up, believe it or not, with enough material for at least three... <laughs> Possibly four albums. Yeah. So. Wow. So when summer comes again was very much a, a choice of material of the choice from a huge amount of material that we thought uh, would hang together well and would represent us. And then we kind of the theme of a nice summer's day with yeah. a, with a <laughs> glass of crisp white wine just kind of evolved. Really. Well, if, if I say too that oh. Was that? That's another okay. computer. Close it down. No, it was um, partly because it, last year was the 900th anniversary of Reading Abbey. Well, we live in Reading. I've lived here for a very long time. We're, so we, we're really lucky we live in Reading. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and, um, and I decided to um, <clears throat> do, I'm losing my voice, <clears throat> to do Summer is a Coming In. Yeah. So we recorded it, and um, and then I just thought it would be a lovely subject for a, a video because I'm in lockdown as well. I've really been honing my skills as a as a illustrator. I did a fine art degree and neglected yeah. all these years. We ought to explain before we go on because not not everybody will know. <laughs> no. the song "Summer Is a Coming In." Uh, is the earliest known example of written polyphonic music. Oh, oh right. Right. And the manuscript was found in Reading Abbey. Ah, I see. That's yeah. the connection which Hilary... <laughs> I failed to say. Uh, no, that's <laughs> okay. Assumed that your listener will know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so and we, I got quite carried away with it and we, we really got into making videos. I just absolutely love it. And um, so then we wanted material that would all mix together in a way. So, so that's how the summer theme came about. But the other thing is it's, it's, it's traditional and classical, whereas um, I've done blues albums as well. And so it's a complete – we do too much variety to actually um, – we confuse everyone, including I- ourselves. 
I think that I think that's one of the things that stands out about this album um, is the fact the variety on it and the fact that you've, you're mixing traditional folk, your own compositions, and classical pieces on the mm. same record. And I mean, looking at your respective websites, you're doing you're recognised from both audiences as being good mm. at what you do. But in reality, do you find that sometimes there might be the, the, the folk people have a certain view of what folk musicians yeah. do and classical mu- fans have a, a vision of what they think classical musicians and you're kind of crossing over aren't you it's how, how yeah, does but, how yeah. do you find well, that in it, it, we, we we've always loved dipping into different genres of music but to be honest it it, it has occasionally been a bit of a an albatross around our necks um but the, bear in mind that we're both from the folk Area. Yeah, we are mainly we we are a pair of folkies, really, and we're not classically trained. So, mm-hmm. I think a lot of folk people think we're a bit posh and we're classically trained, and we're not at all. We're both, you know, from pretty sort of, well, very working class families where we couldn't, you know, neither of yeah. us could have lessons and things. So, it's just sheer enthusiasm that's made us want to do it all. And, wow. Um, so, so far as the classical world is concerned. Um, my main instrument is the mandolin, and that's really on the periphery of the classical world anyway. Um, there aren't a huge number of uh, well-known works that are written for it. Probably the, the Vivaldi mandolin concertos are the two best-known pieces. Well, um, your your violin playing is exceptional, and um, I'm not a violinist, but my wife is a classically trained violinist. She just said, yeah. I'm sure he's classically trained. No, I'm not. Yeah, so but so, so your 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 violin playing is is wonderful. In fact, your violin is um is quite elderly, isn't it? Seventeen forty. How it's did you? I am. Yeah. <laughs> how did how did you how did you come to have a violin from seventeen forty? Well, it, I, I could afford it because it isn't Italian. Uh, every, everybody who plays it who says that if it had exactly the same sound. And it and it had been made in Cremona in 1740 rather than Paris in 1740. It would be worth five six times as much. In which case, I couldn't have afforded it. There's a there's a huge cachet in the violin world about old Italian violins, yeah. and um, if you can find one that's got a really great sound but is not Italian, uh, then yeah. somebody like me can afford it. So um, mine, mine was made in, in Paris in 1740. And we couldn't have afforded it if it hadn't had woodworm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that brought its value down, but it's been so well repaired over the years. Interesting but... story. Before I, I, I actually got it from a, a dealer in Hexham in Northumberland. And um, it, it's there, there's a kind of um, unwritten rule in the violin world that they if you're interested in buying a violin they'll let you take it away for a couple of weeks if you pay some insurance on it and you can make sure that you really want it yeah well while i had it for those two weeks i took it into a dealer in london to get a valuation you see and uh, i left it with them for the morning went went and had a sandwich went back in the afternoon <laughs> and uh, the the person who had examined it said um are you absolutely sure that you've fallen in love with the sound of this violin? And I said, well, have you played it? I think it's got a fantastic sound. And she said, no, I haven't. So she was evaluating it without playing it. She mm-hmm. said, the only thing I, I, I would say that um, is that you could you could get something in better condition. And um, 
And then she said, How, what's the asking price on it? And I told her, and she said, um, oh, yes, that's rather a northern price. <laughs> 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 so the, the implication was she would have sold it at twice the price in London. Wow. Yeah. So really? I was... I was very happy. And it was yeah. a long time ago. And it was so a long time ago, yeah, yes. So we're very fortunate. <laughs> very true. But one of the, the tracks you say, When Summer Comes Again, that that's actually that was written, was it 30 years ago? Is that quite an, an old it song? Was, it was on Simon's first album, the yeah. Madeline album, where we, we, nobody, we couldn't get any funding to do it. So I went cleaning and all that sort of thing <laughs> to raise the money. And uh, we put it out. And it, then it went doing some work with children in the Channel Islands and we dropped... 120 copies of the CD it was in Broadcasting House, which yeah. you could do in those days for all the producers that I got their names from Radio Times. And they all played it. And we were on Radio 3, Radio 4. We had an album of the week on Radio 2. And we were out in the Channel Islands playing to children, totally unaware. And we didn't have distribution or anything. But but then it all fell into place afterwards, you know. So it we, was, we weren't even aware of it because this was before mobile phones. Yeah. 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 So... You know, so we, we've we've always sort of done everything ourselves, and which I think might be coming into its own for us now because we just own all our copyrights, and we've done so much stuff over the years. You know, so yeah. I, I mean, looking at your websites, you've, you've, your back catalogue individually and collectively is just huge. Yeah, <laughs> we seem to have spent half, half our time in the recording studio. Yeah. We, we we have mu- musician friends who've always done a lot more gigs than we have, and uh, but but we've we we have done a lot of recordings. Yeah, I I, I can't remember which tracks are on which album these days. <laughs> yeah. So when summer comes again, with um, I was out visiting my sister who lives in the south of France. And um, at the time, we could only afford for me to go. Simon couldn't come. <laughs> so we had to stay in Reading in the rain. And when I got back, he'd written the tune. Oh, so wow. I had words to it. Yeah. So, that was fantastic. Um, came about. <laughs> what, one of my favourite um, tracks off the album is The Buttermere Waltz. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. What was, the, what was the background towards that piece of music coming together? Uh, my teenage summers were spent hiking in the Lake District with a school friend. And um, I, I still get up to the Lake District whenever I can, but of course, living in Reading, we're a long, we're a long <laughs> way from it now. Yeah. But um, I do love to go hiking in the Lake District whenever I can. And that, that, was, that tune was written with uh, memories of teenage summers in mind. Yeah. And I originally recorded it on mandolin on my second album, which would have been 1991. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's proved that particular track has proved to be a real favourite, and it's probably the most requested piece that I get on gigs. And then for this new album, Hilary said, "Well, why don't you revisit it and play it on violin?" And I'd never played it on violin, um, but I did for the album and um, tried to treat it in a in a different way. And then we discovered that we got uh, a very good live recording of just the two of us doing it, guitar and mandolin. So we put that on the end as a bonus track. So, yeah. so there are two completely different versions of the tune on the on the new album. But, but that that tune has been one of the my most requested pieces, actually. Well, well I'm not surprised. And I think putting in, 
the the both versions on is also a, a great thing to do because they've both got their own personalities. You know, mm. the, it's a it's a wonderful piece. Now, what drew you towards the mandolin from from guitar? What made you think? I think I'm going to go down the mandolin route. Well, I'd been playing guitar. I think I got my first guitar when I was uh, about ten, nine or ten. But to be honest, I'd, I'd never really done much on it. I'd, I'd learned to play a few chords, to strum a few chords, and uh, but I'd never had that what I describe as a soul on the road to Damascus moment that something had really excited me about music. And when I heard somebody playing uh, the mandolin, that was it. I, I heard Dave Swarbrick, who sadly is no longer with us, but he was in Fairport Convention and uh, playing fiddle and mandolin. And I, I, I heard Dave Swarbrick playing and like a lot of fiddle and mandolin players of my generation, uh, he was uh, a, a source of huge inspiration. Yeah. And uh, so I took up the mandolin and the fiddle at the same time. Because I'd been playing the guitar, it's more similar to the mandolin. So the mandolin playing improved more quickly than the violin playing. Okay. I would, I would dispute that because Simon took up – I met him when he'd just taken them both up because I was running the folk club at university – Oh, yeah. And he came along and playing the tin whistle. <laughs> and I asked him to join my band on whistle. Which I no longer play. <laughs> a few weeks later, he turns up, I think it was the next week, with a fiddle and, and a mandolin. And he pl- when he played the fiddle, I said to my friends, how are we going to stop him from playing the fiddle? We're never going to let him do that, are we? He'd only been playing about three weeks. We didn't know that. Wow. And, <laughs> it was about three months, I think. <laughs> And anyway, we won a competition the next with him on the fiddle. He was mainly a fiddle player at that point. And then the, I, but the, the mandolin as well, but I, he was better known as a fiddler in the first instance. Yeah. And then in the mid 80s, I said, you know, there's nobody doing the mandolin. There's nobody really playing the mandolin or known for it. So we, we contacted Mike Vanden. He got a Vanden mandolin. And Mike, Mike, Mike Vanden is a mandolin maker. Yeah, he, yeah, very highly respected one. And he offered to make a mandolin and a, a mandola and a mandocello. So that was where the idea of the first mandolin album came from. Which I said, well, why don't we do an orchestral? So it was we, we Simon recreated all the parts of the orchestra or the strings anyway yeah. on those instruments. And um, just to explain for any of your listeners who don't understand, and there's no reason why they should, but the, <laughs> the mandolin is tuned exactly the same as a violin. Oh, right. So all the left-hand fingering is exactly the same. The only difference is that you use a bow on a violin and a plectrum on a mandolin. And similarly, a mandola, which is the alto voice of the mandolin family, is tuned exactly the same as a viola. And a oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And a mandocello yeah. is tuned exactly the same as a cello, as a violin cello. So you can take um, string quartet music, a lot of orchestral music, and if you're careful with your choice, you can transfer it to the mandolin family. It's easy to do. What you have to be aware of is uh, textures. You know that all the notes are going to work, but uh, is the texture of the original going to work? Yeah. A mandolin family rather than a violin family. Uh, The main difference is that on violin family instruments, you've got indefinite sustain as long as you keep the bow moving yeah 
the note continues. On a plucked instrument, like a mandolin or a guitar, the, the note dies from the moment you hit it. Yeah. Um, so the texture is obviously going to be different and you have to be aware of that when you're choosing a piece of music. So obviously what you're saying, you picked mandolin because there wasn't that many people doing it. So Hilary, coming back to you now, because you have an interest in bass instruments and somewhere along the line, you then decided to go for the mando bass to kind of to complete this picture of uniqueness. Well, what happened was that we... We put our first quartet together in 96, was it 95, 96? And Martin Alcock from Fair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing the son mandocello. And Chris Leslie as second mandolin. Chris was, Leslie wasn't in Fairport Convention, no, but he is now. He was right. with the album band at the time. And that was our first quartet. And just before we our first rehearsal, um, I was in at the Folk Alliance in... Um, in Portland, in Oregon, and somebody said to me there, do you know there's a mando base in Hobgoblin, just near Gatwick, where I was about to land, you know, a week later. Yeah. So, and we didn't, we, we weren't in contact with each other because of phones and all the rest of it in those days. And Simon then went, met, met me at the airport and somebody had rung him up and told him about it. And that's how I got the mando base. I was on the double base. I was going to be playing double base. Wow. We'd said, oh, if only we could find a mando bass, and it fell into our laps. You know, it was just one of those really fortuitous moments, really. And I've never looked back. I just love it. Yes, it's a very photogenic instrument, and it must have a very, very big case to put it in. Uh, <laughs> it must be a feature in your house. Yeah. It, it has a hard case, but to be yeah. honest, if we carry it about in the hard case, it, the, you can't get much else in the car. No, no. My, no. my my sister made a soft case for it, and uh, which is very pretty. It's very pretty, but it it does get a few knocks. But it means mm. we can get other stuff in the car as well. Yeah, fantastic. Now the other thing I'd like to mention about your you new know, album that I think really sets it apart is the artwork, Hillary. The 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 paintings are are beautiful. Um, so were, when you put the album together, as you say it was done through lockdown. Were the paintings already in existence or did you have a vision of both visually and musically about what you wanted to create? Um, no, what happened was that I looked, the front cover is uh, it's based on a painting in Reading Museum. Yeah. Um, and then through the, throughout the um, – and then I got photographs of the, um, the Abbey, old photographs – and couldn't get access at the time because it was being restored. The of course, yeah. Being restored. <clears throat> so I was working from whatever I could get hold of, but that was for the cover and for the vi- the video that I did that accompanied it. But the other drawings were, I'm trying to think now, there was the, the one of Buttermere, which is spans the inside. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, and that is from, I, I, we took some, went up there and took some photographs. Um, so I worked that from a photograph and everything is on, I do it all on iPad now, which I never thought I, I, I dismissed computer art, but I'm now absolutely blown away by what you can do on an iPad. Yeah. Um, and other ones in there were just sketches that were designed for the album. I did them with the album in mind um, and just went through all our old photographs because I love taking photographs just to get ideas. Yeah. And then I just mess about with them, you know, which you, which you can do so easily on an iPad. 
No, it's, that, that it really does make a fantastic package. Absolutely wonderful, uh, uh, and that's amazing that you can do that on an iPad. They they just look like they look like watercolors. Um, you know, fantastic. So the, the, as I've gone through your website and, and looked at all the, a lot of different things you've done, one of the things, again, that makes you think, well, that's different, is the, is the music you've done for children. So t- tell us a bit about how did, how, because obviously this has been a springboard for people to discover you, to, your, your other, your, obviously your mainstream music. So how did you get involved with doing music for children? Well, that was because <laughs> oh, it's, it gets well, so complicated. We we met as students, and um, I'm a year younger than an academic year younger than Hillary. So while she was waiting for me to finish my degree, she did a, a one year postgrad and became a qualified teacher. Yeah, and then this is going back to well, I won't tell you how long, but it's going back, <laughs> and. Um, then Hillary had the idea that we could do an educational show in primary schools or secondary schools for that matter, but it was mostly primary schools we played. Um, an educational show taking stringed instruments around, talking about the acoustics of how stringed instruments work. Uh, and then we wanted to do a well, basically, we couldn't find any songs to do with the children that we liked, so well, we started writing. Well, it was Christmas, writing. wasn't it? Mostly, it, it was the Christmas show that yeah. did it because we wanted to do secular songs, so that you know everybody it was so totally in- inclusive at Christmas, and that was when we started to write. Um, and then things snowballed. Yeah, we did a cassette that landed on Folk Roots desk, mm-hmm. Folk Roots magazine. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And the editor at the same time had a request from a producer at Radio 4, which did children's programmes at the time, educational programmes, mm-hmm. and asked if he knew of anyone, and called, yes, you know, who could do a pro- present some musicians who could present a programme. So we did that for six years. It was the song tree on radio. It was on Radio wow. 4. Wow. That was for very tiny children. Yeah. yeah. And then we got an audition for Play School. And oh, fantastic. Yeah. We were the last present. <laughs> just about because we were there in the last week they did a big special with us and it was back page of the radio times full page spread oh, fantastic and then they took it off the air story of our lives <laughs> yeah you get, you get a big break you do one episode yeah. they take the program off the air oh dear but they kept us on as songwriters for a program called green claws which was i think we did was it 26 episodes in total over five years mm-hmm. over sorry over two series two series of 13 which were repeated for five years, eight times, and it paid the mortgage for five years. Good so, God. So that got us going. But when we wrote for the television, we didn't. We could just satisfy the commission and the producer, but yeah. we didn't waste our time doing something uh, and effort on something that we weren't, wasn't for us as well. Yeah. So we made yeah. sure all the songs, we could do them as well. And, that you know, we were proud of them and we... We, we've used them a lot in schools yeah. and we did our own albums. But the other thing about them is that they had to be televisual. So they had to be written so that they could almost every every line could have a something visual that they could film. Of course. So, so that is, means now that I've got my, the rest of my life will be spent doing videos for them, doing all the it was it was quite a discipline actually because the producer we were working for would go through the lyrics and if there was even one line that she couldn't film 
that was in some way abstract. Wow. That had yeah. to be changed, and it it, yeah. it really brings it home to you just what what you have to do for the medium you're working in. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was quite an education for us. Fantastic. So with the new album out now, what have you got plans for any live gigs or are you, you know, as, yeah. as we come out of the pandemic, what's the, what well, are your plans live? Actually, we, we did a huge amount of gigs last October, November between waves of COVID. And um, we were assuming we wouldn't do any gigs at all last year, but um, they just, we, we didn't go looking for them, to be honest, but they just came in. And the first gig when we came out of lockdown was the 17th of May. Wow. Just a couple of hours. Yeah, very soon after lockdown. And that gig had sustained us for months because it kept getting moved. But it was Simon played the Vivaldi Mandolin Concerto with yeah. the London Mozart players. And it was such a thrill for us, you know, so that that actually spurred us on, you know, to, and then things just came in. And now we're looking at, I think we've got eight gigs over the next couple of months, February, March. Yeah. Um, and we're in, in Worcester in a theatre, in the Huntingdon Hall Theatre, which is lovely. But a lot of them are all, um, are rural touring as well, going into villages, which seems so appropriate with, you know, with this album yeah. really. Um, and if people, sorry, and uh, if, if people want to get hold of you, where where's the best place to buy the album from? Where would you? Well, uh, either of our websites, which are really easy to remember, uh, I'm at mandolin.co.uk, and Hillary is at folksong.co.uk, or uh, or mayorandjames.com. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, any of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll I'll put the links to these in the underneath the description and on the website as yeah. well yeah. And, and what do you have plans to do a follow-up to this or is it still the the main the main album you're pushing at the moment that's the main one at the moment but as i mentioned earlier yeah. we've got lots of stuff in stock and uh well simon you've been working since christmas on a carolan album i've been working on an album of music by tilla or carolan who was around about three four hundred years ago in ireland yeah. Um, a Baroque composer, a very interesting composer because he he had one foot in the folky camp and one foot in the classical camp, and his his music sounds like folky Baroque, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah, and um, he was a harp player, blind, and so other people notated his music. But the interesting thing is that they didn't notate his harmonies; they only notated the top line, the melody line. And he must have used harmony because he played a harp. It's a polyphonic instrument. Um, so we can only make an educated guess at how he harmonised his tunes. But on the other hand, it leaves a bit of a blank canvas for people like me that want to record them and arrange them, Yeah, which, which is what I've been doing. Yeah, Fantastic. There is one other album that I, I want to do next. Um, we've been recording our gigs for about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And... There are some hilarious moments. I mean, I still laugh when when they when we play them. So I want to do an album of largely spoken word of those, and and perhaps some poems as well. Simon's written some limericks and all sorts of things, and put little almost little um, snaps of tunes in the middle. So it'd be the reverse of what we've done before, so that it'd be more speech with just little almost yeah. jingles in between. So. So yeah, we've we've got too many ideas. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yeah. thank 
Simple time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both very much. Thank you, Simon and Hilary, for telling me all about the album and a bit of background about your, your musical lives and what you're up to next. And um, I really wish you the best of luck with it. And for everyone who's listening and watching, all the details of how you can buy this album yourself, which I highly recommend, will be in, in the description tag. So thank you both so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. Thanks ever so much. Thank you.